little over 10 years ago, there was a television program on um, TV. It was on the Fox Network um, called The Fringe. And I don't know how many people uh, saw that particular program, and it didn't do very well in the ratings. I watched it, and I thought it was a pretty uh, good program. But the whole uh, premise of the program was that there was a secret wing of the FBI that was uh, in charge of investigating those things that we're really not aware of in the normal world. In other words, there were some things on the outside of what we would call normal, uh, things that were out on the fringe uh, that's going on behind the scenes that nobody was aware of and know what was going on except for those people who were in government. And... Um, as far as the paranormal, as far as uh, what people were doing in science, and there was all kinds of investigations about what was happening uh, on the fringe of things. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about something else that has a fringe, uh, something that is far beyond what we normally think about, something that is really out there, that uh, we oftentimes just see the fringe of it. And the purpose of this lesson is to help you to greater appreciate something that you need to give greater appreciation to. I ask if you will open your Bibles to Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26, and you can go ahead and put your marker there because our entire lesson will be coming from this particular chapter. We won't cover every verse, but we are going to be bringing out some highlights in some of the verses. I think most of us are familiar with the book of Job. It was a book that was written for our help in dealing with suffering. It was a book uh, that was written for the purpose of uh, helping us to deal with things in a patient kind of way. It is perhaps the oldest book that we have in our Bibles. There are some who think that it was written uh, before the flood. There are some who think that it is written uh, right after the flood. Uh, we don't know for sure, but we do know it's one of the oldest books that, that ever has been written in human history. And although uh, the, the book doesn't give us answers to why people suffer, it is a book that deals with suffering. And I think it's important before we start looking at Job chapter 26 that we talk about the events that have led up to this particular chapter and why this chapter is here. Job, of course, was a man who was very faithful to God. He was a man that was so faithful to God and living so righteously that uh, God used him as a an example of what a righteous man is supposed to be. In fact, he used this uh, example of Job, even before Satan himself. He says to Satan, have you not seen my servant Job? And of course, Satan saw that Job was an upright man and a righteous man. And, and um, this, of course, was not something that was pleasing to uh, Satan. And so uh, he told God something very terrible about Job. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, he says, you know, the only reason why Job is serving you so well and is so righteous is because you have blessed him. You have blessed him with so many material things, and God had indeed blessed Job with a lot of material things. And Satan basically said, if you'll take away his material things, then he'll quit serving you. Well, God 
through his infinite wisdom, knowing that this is something that Job could overcome perhaps, and knowing that this would be a lesson that we could use even in this day and age. He allows Satan to attack Job. He allows Satan to take the things of material things, even family things, away from Job. And Job begins a series of terrible, terrible sufferings. And as you go through the book of Job, you you see his friends come to him, and they try to comfort Job. Well, in their process of comforting Job, they basically say, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Why don't you go ahead and give it over with? Because the only reason why you're suffering the way you're suffering is because of the fact that somehow or another you've committed some great sin. And folks, right there we have a lesson. We need to understand, first of all, looking at Job, just because a person has wealth doesn't necessarily make them more pleasing to God, and just because a person is suffering doesn't mean that God is mad at them. Here's a man who had wealth and God allowed it to be taken away, but Job was still a righteous servant. And here was a man who was suffering more intensely than we'll ever suffer in this world. But yet he was still serving God and being faithful to God. He would not do what his friends told him to do. And so after we have this series of speeches of his friends, we get to Job chapter 26, and Job gives us a sermon. And it's not a sermon about suffering. It is a sermon about God. A sermon about God. And so as we start looking through this particular chapter, the very first thing I think we need to be impressed with And this is what Job wanted us to see, and that is the power of God. As we start looking through this particular chapter, there's some things that Job points out that that illustrate the power of God. And you can look these up in your chapter as we go through them. But notice it says in verse 6 that death is naked before God. Now, that might not be the way that we would phrase something, but basically what Job is saying is that God can see the unseen. In other words, there is a world out there, a world that we cannot see, a world of people who have died and left this earth, and they're now in the uh, Hadean realm, a place where souls who have been separated from their body dwell. Uh, We know it's out there because the Bible tells us it's out there, but it's not a place that we can see. We cannot see our loved ones beyond the grave until we are beyond the grave or unless the Lord comes back. So the very first thing that Job wants us to understand as we start thinking about the power of God, he is someone that can see everything. He is someone that can even see in the realm of the dead. In fact, the New Testament puts it this way, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God never misses a thing. God sees all things. God is so powerful that he knows all things. He's able to be in all places at all times. God sees everything. He can even see into a world that we cannot see in. But then the text goes on and brings up another point. In verse 7, it says, he suspends the earth over nothing. Now, we read that particular verse, and we think to ourselves, 
Oh, yeah, well, okay, yeah, I guess he does. But folks, you've got to realize that this is the oldest book that's ever been written, perhaps. And it was written during a time, at least later on in a time, when the thought among scientists was that the earth was placed upon some kind of foundation. You can go in and look at ancient history of how people looked at the earth, and there were some in the time of the Greeks and the Romans who believed that the earth was suspended on Hercules' back. There's other in Mid-Eastern countries who believe that the earth was suspended upon an elephant's back, and it was being carried on the elephant. There were others who believed that the earth was a flat plain that was also suspended on something else. But here, going back thousands and thousands of years, Job knew something that the scientific world didn't know, and that is that the earth is suspended in nothing. The earth is suspended in nothing is the idea. In other words, long before Isaac Newton, Job understood that God had the power to suspend this globe on nothing in the world and how that this world rotates around and just is suspended in space. But the point of the passage is not so much to teach us a science lesson as it is to let us know that God has the power to not only create the earth that we live in, but He also has the power to suspend it in space and keep it spinning. Everything works like clockwork in our universe From the way that the earth rotates around the sun to the way that the moon rotates around the earth, how all the planets work in unison so that we can live on this particular planet. Job understood the power of God and how he is the one that is the power behind this world. But going through the text, you also see in verse 8 it says, He wraps up the waters waters in his clouds, Yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. Of all the passages in this particular chapter with Job's description of God's power, this is one of my favorite. Now make sure you picture what is being said here. We're all familiar with clouds. Those of you who have studied anything in school about clouds understand that clouds are a mixture of dust and water vapor. And how that when it rains, what happens is that there's enough water vapor within the cloud that it's ready to start dropping out and raining. But here's what Job wants us to think about. Think about the cloud and how you look up at it in the sky and you see this fluffy thing, but yet within this cloud... There are gallons and gallons and gallons of water. How in the world does that work? How is all that water suspended up in the air? How does it not just automatically fall? Or how does it, when it comes time for this water to fall, how does the cloud just not burst open and all suddenly, instead of raindrops falling on top of us, it's like somebody's taking a pitcher or a fountain and just pouring the streams of water down on top top of us, that would knock us to the ground. Job is giving us an example of the power of God, how that those clouds, when it comes time, it will rain. Sometimes that rain will be heavy or sometimes that rain will be light, but the clouds just doesn't burst and all of a sudden all the water falls to earth at all at one time. 
but instead it's all a part of God's creation, how he wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. And once again, we think of a cloud being a light and fluffy thing, but as Job points out, those clouds are full of water. When it rains, it doesn't just rain for a second normally. If there is a full rain cloud, it rains maybe sometimes for hours because that's how much water is trapped up there in those clouds. Full of water, yet they do not burst. It's all because of the power of God. But then in verse 9, it says he covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. Now, it's interesting, as you start looking at this particular verse, all the different ways it's translated and all the different ways it's interpreted. And so it's kind of hard for commentators to figure out exactly what's going on here. I think, first of all, there's the idea that uh, when you see an eclipse, you can see that God has the power to cover the face of a full moon. Or you can see the idea of how that the weather is constantly changing because of the power of God and there are times that a full moon, even in its brightness, is overshadowed by the clouds causing the world to be dark. But also there's the idea, and this is expressed in the original language, is the idea that there is a realm in which God lives in. There is a throne room, if you will, of God, a place where God dwells that's an unseen place. I can lift up my eyes toward heaven, but I don't see where God lives. I have in my mind that he is beyond this here and now, but there's no way for me to see it. God in all his majesty, because of the fact that he is indeed holy and he's to be separate from mankind who is sinful, he operates in a different realm in which we operate, a spiritual realm that's different from the physical realm. But yet he has the power to remain unseen. In fact, if you remember when God was talking to Moses on Mount Sinai, God wanted to talk to Moses and Moses wanted to see him and God explained to Moses, no, you can't see me because you will kill you. But God allowed Moses to get just a glimpse of God for just a second. And when he came down from the mountain, his face shone so brightly that they had to pull a, put a, a veil over his face because people could not look with him without being blinded by how bright his face was. The point that Job is making is once again on the power of God and how that he can cover and be unseen, much less the lunar aspects of the world that we live in. But then you look at verse 10, and he says something else that is amazing. It says, He hath compassed the waters with bounds, and until the day and night come to an end. And once again, there's different ideas of what Job is stressing here, depending on the translation of the Hebrew here. But I look at this verse and I think about the fact that we live on a globe that not only has continents, but also is surrounded by water. And the earth is spinning just enough with a gravitational pull that everything that is on this earth stays intact. Scientists tell us if somehow or another the uh, equilibrium of the, of the spinning of this earth was somehow or another changed, that it began to spin too slow or began to spin too fast, that 
literally the waters of this world, the oceans on this world, would begin to be slung off. Just like if you uh, were to take a dish rag and you uh, were to spin it very quickly, the waters would go to the outside and begin to be flung off because of the spinning. But the idea in this particular verse is the idea that God has set in motion, He has compressed the waters of this earth so that this world remains a globe, remains a sphere. We don't fly off of it. The waters don't fly off it. There's the perfect balance of spinning and gravity. And because of that, and the earth being rotating, which once again was a scientific principle that no one had discovered, but Job knew about it. What happens as the earth spins? There's a daytime and a nighttime. When one half of the world is near the sun, we've got daytime. When the one half of the world has its back to the sun, we have nighttime. And so God is seen in every day and every night how that He is the one that keeps this world spinning. He is the one that keeps the waters compressed. God is indeed a very powerful God. But then, as we start thinking about the power of God, we think about verse 11. And it says, The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. And more than likely, this is talking about earthquakes. And there are some people who believe that Job was written right after the flood. And they believe that right after the flood, there was perhaps more earthquakes ever in the history of mankind. And the reason for this was because of the earth settling, because of the flood, because of the upheaval of ground masses to help drain the flood, that there were more earthquakes at this time, and so Job was very familiar with earthquakes. But regardless of that particular fact, we need to understand and appreciate the power of God, that He is one who can shake the very foundations of the earth and the very foundations of heaven, God can be a destructive God. He is the God that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He is the God that brought the flood upon this earth. And we know that one day God is going to return to this earth and He is going to destroy this world that we live in. We need to understand and appreciate that God is a powerful God and at His command there can be destruction. (coughs) But then the text goes on. It says in verse 12, he divided the sea with his power and by his understanding he has smitten through the proud. We don't know what this particular uh, verse is really talking about. This is one of these verses that have confused people. There's all kinds of uh, suggestions out there what is being talked about. There are those that believe that mankind has no reason to ever be proud about anything that he created here on this earth because it was God who divided the waters and created this earth. That every single thing on this earth belongs to God, that we're just stewards of it, and we need to understand and appreciate the fact of the power of God because he's the one that made everything. But there are a few people who think that this is a prophecy that took place in the time of Job that was talking about something that would help happen in the future. Actually, that this is a prophecy of the power of God and how that one day he would divide the Red Sea so the Egyptian army could go through it and he could smite the proud, if you will, Pharaoh's 
army who thought they could capture the people of God. Once again, don't want to get caught up too much in trying to be definitive about it. The point that Job wants us to understand, the point that he wanted his friends to understand, something that we need to appreciate is the power of God. But then, as we start looking at this and start uh, thinking about other things, he says in verse 13, By his spirit he garnished the heavens, his hand hath formed the crooked servant. And people believe that this is talking about the power of God and how that he created the sun and the moon and the stars and everything that's a part of our vast and numerous universe. In fact, the psalmist puts it this way in two different places. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Once again, the point is, we serve a powerful God. So quickly, by review, what has Job taught us? What did we need to learn? Well, first of all, we need to know that God is all-seeing. He never misses anything. God is so powerful, He sees everything. We need to understand that God is in the universe. He is everywhere. We need to understand that He is even in the clouds and able to to, uh, cause things to happen in the clouds. He is in an unseen place. He is so powerful. He's in the day and the night as the earth rotates. He has the destroying power. He is one that is over the sea, and he is the one that's over the heavens. In fact, the heavens declare his power. Well, Job has said all this in chapter 26 to build up to verse 14. The verse that Andrew read for us and the verse that's the most powerful of this chapter and the verse that should make us think. What does he say in verse 14? And these are but the outer fringe of his works. These are the outer fringe. In other words, when we look at everything that God has done in this world, when we think about God's power and everything that that he is able to do and will do and has done, Job says, you're just getting the fringe of the power of God. In other words, I could spend my entire time this morning trying to get you to understand how powerful God is. And as Job did give you example after example after example. But Job says, no matter how hard you try to explain it, you are only seeing the fringe of his power. In fact, the text goes on and notice this illustration that that Job makes. It says, how faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? In other words, everything that we experience and see in God today is like a whisper. It's like God is just showing us his power in a whisper and we never truly get to see the thunder of his power. In other words, he's using the illustration to explain that there is a broad difference from what we see and appreciate as God's power and how powerful God really is. We're just getting a glimpse. We're just seeing the outer edges 
We're just seeing the fringe of God's power. Now, as you leave here today, there's obviously some applications we can make when we think about we're only seeing the fringe. Think about this. We should not be surprised at his power to, first of all, this morning, to take care of us. When we think about how powerful God is, and we think about the fact, as Job has said, that we've only seen the fringe of his power, we should not be amazed in the fact that we have a God who is powerful enough to take care of us, no matter what thing befalls us here on this earth whether it be sickness, whether it be financial problems, whether it be family problems, whatever your problem may be, we need to put our faith and trust in God because He has the power to take care of us. A verse that's been overused oftentimes, but it doesn't change the point of it. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is very clear. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. God is going to take care of us. Our responsibility, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But we need to put our faith and trust in God and remember, no matter what befalls us, no matter what tragedy we have to deal with, no matter what our circumstances in life, we serve a God that's powerful enough to take care of us. We've only seen the fringe of His power. And what amazes me, He does this on this earth in a natural way. He doesn't do it in a supernatural way. He does it behind the scenes, but yet God is there working in His power to take care of us. But when we think about this idea, we also need the idea that he has the power to raise the dead. One of the hardest things that we have to deal with in this life is the passing of a loved one. Death is the greatest fear that mankind has. Death is the greatest unknown that someone can think about. But we need to understand and appreciate that we've only seen the fringe of the power of God and God has the power to raise mankind. In fact, as Paul is coming to the end of his great chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about how there in the last part of the chapter how when this mortal has put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? God had the power to raise Jesus Christ, and He has the power to raise us. We see just a fringe of His power here on this earth, but if we knew the thunder of His power, we would appreciate the fact that He could do something that's so amazing, and that is bring the dead back to life but he also has the power to make a heaven for the faithful. Uh, We need to understand and appreciate the fact that this world is not our home, that we are just simply passing through, that God has the power to create a place for us where we can live eternally, where we'll always be happy, where we'll bask in the glory and the sunshine of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and be with the redeemed of all the ages. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14 in the first verse. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. God has the power. We've only seen the fringe of His power here on this earth. But He has the power to create a heavenly home where we can live eternally with Him. But one last thing I want you to think about this morning, and perhaps this is the one we struggle over more than anything else when it comes to the power of God. This is the one that we sometimes second-guess God, but we need to believe in His power. We need to have faith in His power. We need to understand, as Job says, that we've just seen the fringe of this. It's just a whisper what we say. But God is so powerful that he's able to provide salvation. Now, when I say that, I mean it this way. There are some, perhaps, who have never become Christians because they believe that God's just not powerful enough to save them because they are such a terrible sinner. They believe that, that even after they become Christians that they're not worthy to be called Christians in the sense that they're not as good as other people, but you've got to understand the power of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has the power to give us everlasting life. God has the power to forgive our sins. How does Isaiah put it in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18? He says, though your sins be as scarlet, though they be red like crimson, they can be as white as snow. In other words, God can cleanse us and make us whole. Even after we become a Christian, John reminds us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we for, for confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, there is no sinner that is too sinful not to become a Christian. There is no sinner that is too heinous not to be saved. We need to believe in the power of God, believe in His healing power. We've only seen the fringe, but the power of His salvation is thunderous. It can save, even as the Apostle Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. And this is faithful This is a faithful and a saying that's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to save these same sinners of whom I am chief. So as we close this morning and we think about the fringe, I want us to do our very best as we leave here today to experience more than just the fringe. In other words, we need to think about the fact that God is indeed powerful, and we need to look for ways to see His power. We need to fully experience the power of God in our lives, whether it be letting Him take care of us and putting our faith and trust in Him, whether we can put our faith and trust in Him and know that He has power over death and the resurrection, that He is indeed preparing for us a heavenly home, but at the same time be mindful of the fact that regardless of who we are, that because of His powerful grace and His amazing mercy and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven. In other words, if you think about it this way, let Him be your God today by obeying Him. Job says, 
when you start thinking about the power of God, when you contemplate everything you can contemplate about God, all you're thinking about and all you're seeing is just the fringe of his real power. It's like a whisper when actually his powers thunder. And so why would we not want to obey him? He's the creator of our universe. He's the sustainer of our universe. He is going to be the one that we will spend eternity with if we obey him. So if you're not here, if you're here today and not a Christian, we beg of you, we implore of you, please become one. But those of us who are Christians, let's do what we can to experience more than just the fringe by putting more of our faith and trust in him and let him be the God of our lives. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song?